quite some time. You were two. You were very, very little. And you actually almost pulled off your mother's dress in front of the whole church because you were so shy. Um, you were, she was up the front talking. You were hiding behind her leg and pulling so hard. She, we normally had one of those all will be revealed kind of moments. Um, but um, I think the shyness has worn off um, uh, after a little while, which is very, very cool. Um, there are a lot of teenagers that were much, much littler then too. Yeah. And a few of you weren't even born, I think, as well. Shay was all of six. You were one. Yeah. But you've all grown an awful lot and you're all amazing, of course. So, um, 10 years, wow. So, what, what I'm not here to do today necessarily is kind of recap on the last 10 years. I want to talk more about the next 10 years and where are we going and particularly what is this year going to look like and um, what is God saying to us this year. I'm going to anchor in Deuteronomy chapter 1 in just a moment. So if you're one of those types that likes to pull out your Bible or your iPhone or your app or whatever it is, uh, I'm going to anchor in Deuteronomy chapter 1 in just a moment. But first, let me tell you a slightly self-deprecating story. Um, I was, uh, this is going back probably around eight years or so. And uh, this memory is burned very much into my soul for reasons which will become apparent in just a second. Um, I was speaking at a church up near Newcastle. And this is a church I hadn't spoken at before. Um, I knew the pastors, but, you know, pretty much nobody else knew me. So, you know, when you go to a new place, first time, uh, you want to you know, form some kind of connection and rapport so that what you have to say lands on good soil. So I am, you know, all fired up. Worship was really cool. I'm all fired up. Um, the, the pastor is up on the stage in the process of introducing me. I look down for a moment, I think, to pick up my stuff, and I notice that my fly is wide open. <laughs> like, we're not just talking a little low. We're talking, like, wide open. I didn't notice the draft, but it was, it was not good. And I'm thinking to myself, how do I get out of this without being too obvious. And so one of the tricks that I was taught in my younger years in a more traditional church that had a, um, uh, like a full, thick, wooden pulpit thing that you would stand behind so that, you know, you really could only see from here up, is there's just a little trick that you kind of, you know, run the hand up and check the tie and check, you know, everything. And then I thought, great. And then I looked and the pulpit was perspex and completely see-through. I'm like, that's no help at all. So what am I going to do? Anyway, I, I had a quick look around and thankfully all eyes were on the person on the stage. So I managed to quickly whip it up, get my phone out, post on Facebook, about to preach my flies undone, hit post just as I walked up and said hello. Got it done just in time. Now that's not the point of the story, but it's one of the reasons why I remember this particular day. Because during worship on that particular day, I had this experience and I don't know whether you'd call it a vision, a picture, an impression, but it was something. Um, and it was something that was really clear. And in this, whatever it was, I saw this picture of the church as we know it, not, not I-61, but the church broadly, the church doing church the way that we know how to do church. And there was this cry that came up from the church, like speaking to God and saying, but this is how we do church. And then the Holy Spirit went, 
oh, is it? And then he just blew and blew the whole thing away. And that was the end of the experience. And I'm like, that's interesting. <laughs> Didn't quite see that one coming. And I've spent since then trying to unpack what does that look like? Because for any of us that have been in church a while and looking around the room, most of us in the room have been in church a really long time. The muscle memory that we have in us of doing church the way we do it is so unbelievably strong. And it's only in almost recent weeks where I've looked back to that picture and that experience that I had with my fly. And my fly was undone at the moment that I had that picture, actually, now that I think of it, because it was during worship. I didn't notice it till later. Um, but um, the, the, this deep cry, like it was this deep, almost cellular level cry out, but this is how we do church. And then the Holy Spirit just went, here. Yeah. And it was all blown away. And since then, I've seen lots of church done the same. We've done lots of the same church. Um, but we've been trying to go, God, what are you saying? What is it that you are doing? What is the kind of church that you are building? So I want you to keep that in mind as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 1. So Deuteronomy, so this is toward the very end of Moses' life and Moses is essentially recounting the history of Israel to the people of God who have crossed over the Jordan. And he's telling the story so that when he dies, which is at the end of this book, when he dies, Israel will know the story. And so here he is recounting the words which God has spoken to him. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. It says, These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel. On this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. So just keep it. On this side of the Jordan means, so they've come out of Egypt. They've crossed over the Red Sea. Most of us would at least remember that story. You know, with the Egyptian army coming, chasing them down. Look that way, there's a big sea. Look that way, there's a big army. They go, oh dear, we're in deep, deep trouble. God parts the waters. They, part, they go through on dry land. And then the, army try, the Egyptian army tries to come through after them. The waters close on top of them. They all get drowned. And the people of God walk free from um, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Pretty big moment. I'm looking forward to seeing the real movie of that in heaven because I reckon that will be quite something. And then, not only have they come out of Egypt, but they've also now crossed the Jordan. So the Jordan, where God parted the waters again, was the beginning of stepping into something. But when Moses is speaking this, actually, let me just keep reading and then you'll see. So on this side of the Jordan means, in other words, we have crossed over the Jordan River. So God's part of the Red Sea. He's part of the Jordan River. Here's where they are. Um, In the wilderness, in the plain opposite, between all of the... In that place there where it says, just read that. Um, It is 11 days journey from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. So in other words, how long did Israel spend in the desert? Say it loud. 40 years. It took them 40 years to walk 11 days. 40 years it took them to walk 11 days. Now Mount Horeb, Um, most really smart scholarly type people believe that Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same place or at least Mount Horeb is one peak and Mount Sinai is another peak of the same mountain essentially so when you Mount Sinai was the place where God met with Moses the burning bush the Ten Commandments yeah 
really significant place in scripture. One of my friends was actually there about four weeks ago, actually on Mount Sinai, which is kind of cool. Um, so it's an 11 day journey from Mount Sinai or from Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, which is the place where they start to enter the promised land. So verse three, now it came to pass in the 40th year in the 11th month on the first day of the month that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all the Lord had given him commandments to them. After he had killed Sion, king of the Amorites who dwelt in Heshkon and Og, the king of Bashan who dwelt in Ashbur and all of those funny places. That's not the point. Verse five, on this side of the Jordan in the land of Moses, Moses began to explain this law saying, The Lord God spoke to us in Horeb saying, you have dwelt long enough at this mountain. That's the word I want to pick up on. You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Take your journey and go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain and in the mountains and in the lowland and in the south on the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See... I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them and to their descendants after them. So, here's the story. They were at a place that God brought them to. And God brought them to this place in a pretty darn mighty way. Like two massive waterway partings all sorts of miracles, God had brought them to this place. And at the time uh, at which he is speaking, um, they, or, or the time at which he is speaking of, they'd been there about a year. So they'd been camped at Mount Horeb. So essentially what had happened is they had come out, but they hadn't yet gone in. So they'd come out of Egypt, which is, if you like, so often in, in um in the New Testament, a metaphor for getting saved out of the world. Like the Red Sea crossing is like, is the stepping out of the world um, and being separated from the world. That's essentially the salvation experience. And then the crossing of the Jordan is the beginning to step into inherit all that God has promised. But they come out, but they camped in the place where they came out. They hadn't yet gone in. And God came to them in their nice, comfortable camp where they'd set up, I reckon... You know, we, we've got a, long t- a lot of muscle memory. Their, their muscle memory by now, being there a year, would be pretty, you know, this is just how we do life now. This is our new way. We're not in slavery in Egypt anymore. We've seen God do amazing things. This is our way. This is pretty good. God has brought us here. You know, we're, we're really thankful to God. And then God says, how long are you going to hang around here? What are you doing still here? They'd come out but they hadn't yet gone in. So verse 80 says, See, I've set the land before you. Go in and possess the land. In other words, a place where his presence had brought them to and a place where his presence once was, God said, I'm not there anymore. You have to move. Things are going to look different from now on. Is this making sense? Are you with me so far? So his glory was no longer on what they were doing and where they were. His glory had moved. I believe we're in a season where that thing that God spoke to me all those years ago with my fly undone, 
is starting to manifest itself. Where over the last three years, God has well and truly blown across the earth and kind of said, all of those wonderful ways that you're used to getting together, yeah, we won't be doing that for a while. Brings a bit of an interruption to the muscle memory. And then as we try to go back to what was, it's like, feels like, hmm, I don't know if you're still there, God. What's going on? And we're in this weird transition place where we know God has brought us to where we are, but he's kind of going, yeah, but I'm not there anymore. You've got to move. You've got to shift. So one of the things I believe that is happening right now is that the, the glory of God is coming off some things and is coming on some things. I'm going to unpack a couple of them real quick, but this is not by any means an exhaustive list. I don't claim for a second to have the whole mind of God on this. I don't even claim to have half the mind of God on this. I don't even claim to have half a mind some days. Um, thank you for the one person that laughed at that, babe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for picking up on that, Jay. So... I believe we're in a season where God is saying, the way that you have been used to doing stuff, my glory is just not there anymore. And that sounds really exciting in some ways. And then it's like, okay, so what, what is your glory on? What does that look like? We've done this as long as I've been alive, as long as I, you know, I might as well have been born in church. <laughs> I've been going to church since I was this big. Um, and this is kind of what we've done. Sure, our music is louder and we're, you know, a, a bit more relaxed than in my younger years, but this is essentially what we've done. So, what is the glory coming off? One of the biggest things I believe the glory of God is coming off is consumer church. In fact, the, the title of this message that I got yesterday was The Death of Consumer Church. What do I mean by consumer church? Um, consumer church is the one where you go, you know, you go, you check it out. If my needs are not met, we go somewhere else. We don't like what's going on. Things get hard. We go somewhere else. We get to shop around. We get to work out, you know, here's my needs. Here's what I need. Um, and the leadership of the place makes every effort to do everything possible to keep as many people happy because if they leave, they stop giving. And if they stop giving, we can't pay the bills and we can't keep doing what we're doing and keeping the machine running. That's a little bit of a crass view of it. I'm sorry, but I just thought, you know, let, let, let's put it out there. It, it, it's, it's a reality. And so you know, leaders spend an inordinate amount of time trying to keep everyone happy, trying to have a program um, that meets every need. Even if it kills us, we will keep this thing going. That, that's the nature of consumer church. It's, the, it's where you have the ability to, to essentially outsource your relationship with God to the environment. Um, you get to come, you get to spectate, um, you get to kind of go, yeah, worship was good today. It wasn't quite what I was really at, but, you know, whatever. I give it a six out of ten. You know, preacher was just weird again. Like, he just keeps talking about his fly being undone. I just don't relate to that because <laughs> I've never had that experience. We're being publicly embarrassed. Um, a consumer church is essentially where the church is all about itself. And it's all about keeping the people inside happy. 
And most of us have been a part of that kind of a church. And you know, to a degree, we've been that kind of church. This is, this, I'm, not, I'm not saying this is terrible and evil and sinful or whatever. It's just, it, it's just been the way that it's been. But I believe God's saying, I'm not there anymore. I'm not on that anymore. I, I'm not building that anymore. So Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Sometimes the picture we get of that is the church is here in its fortress and the gates of, you know, the armies of hell are advancing at the church, but they can't get in. Did anyone ever had that picture of that, you know, the gates of hell? No, you, you have a better one. Because the, the, the real picture is the army of God is advancing out into the darkness and the darkness can't hold it back. That's the true picture of what Jesus was talking about. And yet, when we really, really look deep into how are we operating, how do we think we'll grow, we kind of just hope that a bunch of other Christians will come and join our church and it will get bigger and we can do more stuff. Um, but I'm just not sure that that's the kind of church that Jesus is building. So I want to suggest that the days of consumer church are done. And if anything, we've probably noticed it a lot over the last year, consumer church is being exposed more than it's being built. The, the problems, the issues, the, um, all the stuff is actually coming out into the light and, and it's having an impact. And to a degree, it's like the tide is going out on that thing and the tide is coming in on something else. Do we know fully what that is yet? No, but I've got some hints. You interested? Yes. Good, I am too. <laughs> like I said, this is not an exhaustive list because I don't claim to have the full mind of God, but I would bet my house on at least these three and a half things. Um, his presence is on. The first one, the first thing I know that the glory is definitely on is hosting his presence together. Okay, the, the first and greatest commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second was love your neighbor as yourself. So this matters, but this matters more. And when we do this right, we do that better. So hosting his presence is always, always, always going to be our first thing. In other words, our first ministry of the church is actually not to each other. Our first ministry is always to him. You see it so clearly through the Psalms. You see it in the Ten Commandments, but you also see it when you look into the way that the early church operated in the books of, book of Acts. The significant decisions were made as they were worshipping and ministering to the Lord, not ministering to each other. But then in the process of ministering to the Lord, people got ministered to in a very, very deep and supernatural way. So I believe the glory is absolutely on hosting his presence. I believe the glory is absolutely on family. Consumer church has been the corporation. It's been the machine. It's been, you know, the workplace, the employer, the programs, the staff. The, yeah, and it doesn't mean we don't do stuff. It doesn't mean we don't employ people. It doesn't mean that. It just means it's not the main deal. All of that stuff is meant to support the building of family. And family looks like mothers and fathers raising up sons and daughters and brothers and sisters so that we genuinely grow up in love and start to look like Jesus. Family. Rather than the programs, the events, the... Um, and in consumer church, and I, can't, I, I know I've talked about this at some pastor's days, and I can't remember how much I've talked about it here. In consumer church, the programs and the events do all the heavy lifting of everything. 
You know, we put all of our efforts into running meetings like this, and I, I like meetings like this, just in case you're wondering. You know. <laughs> this is good. I love the body gathered. We're not going to stop doing that. Um, what we want to make sure is when we do that, our emphasis and our focus is, is on what Jesus is building. In family, the relationships do the heavy lifting. So in, in consumer church, I turn up, I do my spiritual activity, I enjoy my worship, I get encouraged by a good word, I nick off, I go into the rest of my week, might connect with a few. And I hope that, you know, I get inspired or blessed or challenged or something in some way to do my life better during the week. Um, but it's the event that does the heavy lifting. In family, it's the relationships. In family, we get to look each other in the eye. In family, we smell each other's breath. Don't we, Vaughn? <laughs> you're wearing a mask for a very good reason because you're right in the firing line from me. <laughs> in family, our hands get dirty. In family, things get messy. In family, we, we hurt each other, we offend each other, and we learn how to clean that up. We learn how to treat our wounds. We learn how to mend stuff. And in doing that, we grow. In doing life upon life, in doing stuff close together, we get challenged by things that you don't get challenged by when you're just relying on a sermon. And when you're sitting there listening to a sermon, you're thinking, yeah, those people over there really need to listen to that, hey. Because no one's looking in the eye and saying, hey, Ferris, that was a word for you. And while you're there, here's some Tic Tacs. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Well, I always want food, yes. <laughs> Family, mothers and fathers raising up sons and daughters. Rather than leaders running programs and hosting events, mothers and fathers sowing their life, breaking off a piece of their life and sowing it into somebody else so that they grow, so that they mature. That they then learn how to do that with someone else. And so we have this... Um, Psalm 103, I think it is, where it talks about one generation declares your works to another. In other words, we have this intergenerational flow of relationship where, where, where the richness and the gold from one generation gets invested into the next generation who takes it, who grows, who does something with it that this generation didn't have time to do and takes it further, who then hands the baton and breaks off a piece of their life and it goes to the next generation. And before you know it, you have this increase of the kingdom through the generations because we're doing family rather than just doing events and hoping, hoping our kids might take it on or whatever. You, know, you hear what I'm saying? All right. Family. So hosting is presence, family. Third thing, and this is really to do with the death of consumer church, and that is the death of the church that is all about itself and its own needs, because the thing I believe that the glory is really coming on is his people making a tangible difference and impact out in the world in the area that they are called to. So for example, for us, and where we wanna um, push into this year, and if you're like, this is the family business. This isn't separate from family, this is the family doing mission as family. But this is the family going out into the world and saying, there is a problem that we can see out there that we know we have the anointing and the solution to fix that. So we're gonna go after that. And the way that this place is going to grow is because we go out there, we fix that problem, people meet Jesus in the process, and we grow because we're actually snatching people out of darkness rather than just transferring people in the light. 
That means we don't have to compete with the church down the road or the seven churches, or 18 churches down the road in this area. Okay, don't get locked there. Stay, okay. So one of the things I know that we as a church have an anointing to, to make a dent in is anxiety and depression. And we, we have a community out there that is more anxious and depressed than it's ever been. And we actually have solutions to that. And yet you know, we've been talking about a transformation center since day one, um, back in what, January 1, 2013 was actually the, the, the day we started. And we came into I-61 with a heart and a vision to birth something that would be absolutely focused at community and healing the hearts of the community. In other words, taking what we do here and pointing it at them out there, such that the community looks in and goes, I don't know what I would do without the church. That's when we know we're starting to make a difference. That's when we're, we're the ecclesia... I'm not going to unpack that whole thing. We, we've done that in the past. But the ecclesia, which is the called out ones, the, center, the ones who are called out of their homes into the public square for the benefit of the community. I believe the glory is coming on that. In other words, a church that's not about itself, but it's about solving real problems out there. And I remember, I remember speaking a word years and years ago, not here, somewhere else. Uh, and the, the clear thing that I felt was we're wanting the glory to show up here. And yes, the glory shows up as we gather, as we host his presence. But what I feel like God was saying in that moment was, I'll meet you out there. In other words, you're not going to find the power you're looking for until you actually go where I'm sending you to go. When you get there, you'll find the power. If you wait to get it. But if we're going to heal a community, we need a healing place to bring them to. And this is what Deb was saying earlier in terms of Elijah House stuff, is when you've been broken in a family, you can only be really healed in a family. And so much of the brokenness in the world has happened in families. But it takes a family, a healthy family, to heal a broken family wound. And this is why we are... (laughs) Obsessed is probably, I was about to say too strong a word, probably too weak a word actually, with being a healing community because the people that we're going to touch as we go out need a place to come where they can fall apart, be loved unconditionally and help put their life back together again. that's That's that word about setting the table. Just set the table. Create this welcoming family atmosphere so that they can come in and get their broken lives put back together. And then in doing the process, this is kind of, I said three and a half, hosting his presence, family, making a tangible difference in the world, particularly around setting captives free. Um, And in doing that, we connect people to the true heart of the Father. See, most people out there think that God is this judgmental narcissist who is out to kill all of your fun and rob you of all your freedom. And I've never met anyone who has had a genuine encounter with the heart of the Father who hasn't just melted and gone, oh my goodness, he is just so good. I had no idea he was that good. I had no grid for he was that good. And that's who we want to introduce them to. I believe his glory is on that. So what will so hosting his presence, family, making a tangible difference in the world, and particularly around setting the captives free. Now, one of the reasons I I, I get this sense around setting the captives free is because 
as I said at the end of last year, we have seen more healing and deliverance in the last six months than we have in the last six years combined. It's increasing. Big time. Let's keep that going. Because that's where the Father is really moving. So what's it going to look like in terms of, you know, when we're thinking, uh, when we're thinking about how we do church um, in, in the pragmatic terms, if that is what the glory is on, what are the spaces that we need in order to enable and to cooperate with that? Because what we want to do is go, Jesus, what are you building and how do we get on board with that? Rather than going, Jesus, here's what we're building, would you come and bless it? Which is a recipe for disaster. We want to go, Jesus, what are you building? How do we cooperate with what you are building? What are the spaces that we need? Now, as you know, um, weeks two, four, and five of the month we meet here. Um, weeks one and three of the month we're going to be meeting at Ironbark. And even though it's not air conditioned, it has a really, really big fan in there that some of you may remember from when we've met there in the past um, that feels almost as good as air conditioning. Um, almost. Nothing is quite as anointed as air conditioning. But it's close. It's very close. So I think there are three primary spaces that we need. One is presence time. One is building and equipping time. And the other is family time. I believe they're they're the three primary spaces we need. So presence time, where we learn how to host the presence of God together where we go on a journey together of learning what does it mean? How do we host his presence in such a way that his presence is attracted and, it, and we, we don't have to retreat to our theology to know God is here. Do I need to say that one again? We don't have to retreat to our theology to know that God is here. Theologically, God has to be everywhere, right? Because he's omnipresent. But his manifest presence isn't the same everywhere. I remember um, up at um, the, what was called the Pineapple Revival, uh, our friends Ben and Jody Hughes were having a massive outpouring at the Big Pineapple up on the Sunshine Coast. And, um, and yeah, we took that was a bit, five days or so, we went up there, Sunshine Coast, such a horrible place, <laughs> so hard. But anyway, we went anyway, we sacrificed. I remember standing in the line outside the building, waiting to get into the building and getting absolutely smashed by the presence of God. I think Deb and uh, one of our friends who we knew that, that lives up there were having a great old chat. I couldn't talk. Like I was just getting absolutely overwhelmed by the presence of God. And, and in that meeting, his presence was so heavy and so thick. And it's not like that everywhere. It's not like that in the queue at Aldi for sure. Some of the places that I go um, you know, with my business with clients, it's certainly not like that there. Sometimes it's like that here. Sometimes it's not. But they're those times where you just have this sense of otherness that you go, God, God is amongst us. God is here. And I don't care what your theology says. I'm encountering him right now. It's that kind of presence that we want to learn to host because that, that is where things happen more happens in that atmosphere than 10 years in therapy. Or So we need presence time. If we are going to make a tangible difference in the world, we need building and equipping time. And that is you know, a real core and a, and a key of the church. Right back in Acts chapter 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They had time together where they were you know, deliberately invested in and grown um, built and equipped 
And if we go to Ephesians 4, what we know is the leadership ministries of the church are there to equip the body. They're not there to do all the ministry. They're actually there to equip the body to do the ministry that they are called to do. So we need presence time. We need building and equipping time. We need family time. Where we're not just in an event where we can walk in, do our thing and walk out and never talk to anyone. It's where we get our hands dirty, where we get in each other's eyeballs, where we get in each other's space and ask each other the tough questions, encourage each other, prophesy over each other, pull the best out of each other. We need those three spaces. So what's our plan? I hear you ask. Like, hurry up, just tell us the plan. Well, if we knew that, no. (laughs) Here's the bits that we know. When we meet here at Ironbark, that will be our key building time. And we will always do, you know, the presence thing. We'll always worship together um, because that is, that is the number one priority. Okay, that, that will always be the number one priority. It's the kind of place that God spoke to us to build. That will always be the number one priority. But this kind of thing that we're doing right now, we'll do that here. When we go to Ironbark, more than likely we won't be doing this kind of thing. When we're at Ironbark, we're going to mess with your deal a bit. <laughs> we're going to mess some things around. If I see chairs in rows, I'm going to burn the building down. <laughs> Just letting you know. I hope they've got good insurance because some week someone may do it by accident. I always thought, yeah, if we get to heaven and we're sitting in rows, I'm out. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to go. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to go, but I don't yet fully know how to describe what we're going to, uh, what we want to do when when we are together at Ironbark. But what I want to say is, when we're in building and equipping time, a lot of the action's up here, and hopefully you're kind of connected to that and involved in that, but that's not what we're going to do out there. The action's going to be here. (laughs) The action's going to be in in our midst. We, we We are going to facilitate experiences where First, we minister to him and learn how to do that together. You know, a lot of us have a wonderful, amazing relationship with Jesus on our own. We want to learn that there is a thing that happens corporately when we get together, where more is possible. And we want to learn how to do that well. So we're going to experiment. Some weeks we are going to colossally fail. And after that, we're going to laugh and we're going to go, we really gave that a good go. Hey, let's do it different next time. But we gave it a go. We're not about getting this perfect. We're on a journey of learning and growing how to do this together. Um, For some of us, it'll be like, I've been waiting for this. And for some of us, it's like, this is my worst fear realized. And there'll be, you know, a whole lot in between. But this is going to look more like we're going to have a couple of people in the middle. It's not going to be polished and perfect. We're all going to gather around and we're going to worship like we're in someone's lounge room. And then we're going to see what God wants to do. And the person who works out what's God doing may just be you. The person who ends up prophesying or praying or saying, I'm really sensing God this, it's probably going to be one of you. Doesn't mean we're not going to be active and facilitating that thing. But this is where we need to draw. There there is so much gold in this room. Just have a look around, just for a sec. Just look around. How awesome are these people? I reckon in this room, there is more than a thousand years of walking with God. I reckon there is more than, collectively together, there would be more than a thousand. I mean, Vaughan and Chris would cover at least. 
at least 40 combined. Let me finish my sentence. At least 40 of those years combined. You thought I was going somewhere else, didn't you? No. No, 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 I wasn't. <laughs> there is so much gold in this room, and what we want to do is create an environment that allows that to flourish. It's not going to look the same every time. It's going to be uncomfortable. But what we want to do is an environment where it's really difficult to spectate. Really difficult to come in, sit down, kind of go, oh, yeah, and then, and then go. No, we're going to be together. We're going to be doing family. We're going to be involved. You're going to be hearing from God. You're going to be ministering to people. You're going to get ministered to in the process. But this is us together, not a small group of people doing the thing out the front while everybody else kind of goes, yeah, and cheers them on. This is all y'all. This is all of us together learning how to do this together. It's going to be seriously fun. Okay? So bring your flares, your seat belts, your helmets, because you're going to need them. Um, Siri didn't, Siri didn't quite get it, but she will. You might not be getting it either, but come along and just have the experience and you will see. Siri needs Jesus big time. So, yeah, it's easy to kind of think what we're doing here is holding a service. When we get to Einbach, if we're doing this right, there's no way you're going to thinking we held a service. So think of the upper room. Think of, you know, um, an intercession or a hub worship thing in someone's lounge room that's just gone off and everybody's engaged and everybody's involved. It's not polished. It's not perfect. But Jesus, it's awesome and you want to come back and do it again next week. That's what we want to do. <laughs> and of course, we... In February and March, we're going to take some actual tangible steps with our Transformation Centre. That, that anxiety workshop that we've been threatening to run um, in November, we, by the end of March, we will have run one of them. Um, stay tuned for details on that. We've just got to get venue stuff sorted. But we just need to start. Do we have everything we need to do all of that? No, but I don't think we will until we actually start. So we're just going to start. We're just going to do it. We're just going to walk into it, and we're going to see what happens when we get there. So... And then in terms of family time, there's lots of, other, um, lots of other stuff that we want to do around groups. Now that we're not kind of meeting fortnightly in groups, groups has not ceased to become important. It is critically important that we do this life-on-life -life thing. And we just want to work out how to do that in Sydney where people's lives are crazy. Um, you know, it may look a lot like, you know, smaller single-sex groups getting together on a regular basis, but we're in the process of working it out. Vaughan is a really critical linchpin in that and is just a genius. Um, of that whole thing. Um, so that remains an absolute key priority of everything that, that we believe that Jesus is wanting to build because without that, we can still just do the big event thing and then go home and never really connect deeply. We need to learn to do heart on heart, life on life. So let me bring this into land. What I believe is happening is God is reorganising his people around his kingdom rather than around doing church where we actually genuinely do the kingdom together. Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not your church come. Your kingdom come. 
So what does it look like for us to do kingdom and let church emerge out of that rather than we do church and hope the kingdom invades? We're going to learn how to do kingdom and see what church looks like as a result of that. That's a little bit scary. It's a little bit unknown. Haven't seen that done all that well before. I'm sorry. Yes, I know. <laughs> I feel the pain of that too. Siri is on fire here. So God is reorganizing his people around doing his kingdom rather than just doing church. We've spent 10 years really digging deep into the presence of God and really going after healing. So many people that came and joined us came from um, you know, experiences where they felt like church was pretty tough. And you know, many were kind of done with church, but it's like, I'll give it one last go with these people. Um, we've spent 10 years in, you know, in many ways being a hospital um, for, those, you know, for, for, for the church exiled. Now it's time to be a hospital for those in the world. God is saying to us, how long will you stay here? You've come out, you haven't yet gone in and there is a land that I've called you and anointed you to possess. You haven't gone in yet. It's time to go in. It's time to go in and take the land. It's time to go in and snatch people out of darkness. It's time that our community looked more kingdom than it did before because of our presence, not, not just us, all of the churches in the area that we have a really great relationship with and pray with and pray for regularly. But it's time that the, that, that the community looked different because the kingdom is coming because we're getting out there and doing it. There is one more thing and it's so short. I said three in a little bit. I said three in a little bit things that the glory was on and you know, connecting people to the heart of the Father and making a difference and setting captives free. I kind of rambled into one there. The other thing that I believe the glory is on is there's a fresh call to submission to the Lordship of Jesus. See, consumer church has made Jesus to be a great life coach, but has forgotten about him as Lord. It's like I can come together, I can be spiritual, I can have my needs met and Jesus gives me some great life advice and life tips. But, you know, I get to do what I want. I get to design my life. You know, the TikTok culture and generation is, you know, and, you know, the social media thing, I'm going to design my life. I will be whatever I want to be. And until you are everything Jesus created you to be, you will never be happy. And so when we say submitting to the fresh lordship of Jesus, yes, that is a sacrifice. That is a laying down and dying. That is a, you know what? My preference here is irrelevant because I'm dead. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. My preference is irrelevant. But the funny thing is, when we get that surrender, life comes upon us in a way, that resurrection life comes upon us in a way that it's like, you know what, I wouldn't trade this for all that other junk. No way. So there's a call for the church and it's so counterculture right now because our whole culture is about everything, whatever you want, whatever you feel. And Jesus is calling us back to the altar. Love this quote from Bill Johnson. He said, you'll only go as far in friendship with Jesus as you've already gone in lordship. So this is a fresh season of surrender. This is a fresh season of Jesus. I'm putting myself on the altar because fire still falls on sacrifice. 
Fire still falls on sacrifice. Let's stand. We've come out. Now it's time to go in and take possession of everything that he has promised. So why don't you pop your hand on your heart right now? I don't want to assume where you're at. I've kind of I've put out, here's where we're going. We'd love it if you came along with us. If we end up going alone, we're still going because that's what Jesus told us to do. So we're going. We'd be totally stoked if you came along with us because it's way more fun with friends. But Jesus, right now, and just join in as you, are, you know, as you feel in your heart. We want to say, we want to be a part of what you are building. Father, we just ask for that, that muscle memory that is so strong within all of us of this is how we do church and this is what we expect and this is, this is how we do the Christian life. God, we just give you permission to mess with that. Because it is the cry of our heart and we pray it, we sing it, uh, we call for it, we want it. Is your kingdom come, your will be done. And yet sometimes we, we struggle to know what that looks like and what that feels like and how to walk with that. But God, we ask you to do a fresh work in us. But when you have said to us, how long will you stay here? How long will you stay in the place where I brought you to? I'm moving on. We say we're following. We're going where you're going. Just like Abraham, he didn't know where he was going. He just knew he couldn't stay where he was. Because God said to him, go to a place I will tell you. And so in that place, we say, Father, we're going to leave where we are. And we're going to walk into what you have said. And we don't fully know what that looks like. We feel a bit out of control. Feel like we might mess this up a bit. Probably will. But Jesus, our heart is after you. We want to be the sacrifice on which your fire falls. Smith Wigglesworth, many of you would have heard about him, many of you have read of him, um, had this, what sounded like such an arrogant statement. He said, if God's not moving in a meeting, I'll move him. And it's like, it sounds like this unbelievably arrogant statement. But what he said was, I will be the sacrifice on which his fire falls. He didn't say, I'll move him out of arrogance. He said, I'll move him out of humility because I know that his fire falls on sacrifice and I will be that living sacrifice. I will put myself on the altar and say, Jesus, you and you alone, you first. So if that's your heart cry, just, just in your heart say to him, Jesus, yes, I will be the sacrifice on which your fire falls. I will be the sacrifice on which your fire falls. And Jesus, I will follow you wherever your glory is going. That's where I will go. God, we just let go of allegiance to all that we have done in the past, all that we have known in the past. so that we can be a part of building what you are building. So that this community and ultimately this city 
We actually called ourselves I-61 Sydney, not I-61 Rouse Hill, because we believe we're meant to impact the entire city, not just this community. But we're going to start here with what's in our hand. But ultimately, Jesus, let Sydney be different because of what you do in us and through us. Let Australia be different because of what you do in us and you do through us. Your kingdom come, your will be done in this place, in us, as it is in heaven. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's have a groovy 10 years, hey? Be blessed.